is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, an apologetics podcast to help equip Christians to engage the culture through biblical, critical thinking. Hello, I'm Tyler, and this is Robbie. I am Robbie. And you're listening to Christ, Culture, Coffee once again. And uh, we're glad that you're listening with us today. And uh, we are just super excited to get into some awesome stuff about how Jesus applied apologetics and instances of where he's done that in scripture and we just we've got a ton of cool really cool stuff to get into today but uh to start off first i just wanted to us to hear from robbie he's got some pretty cool coffee tips again for us here just about uh um just some stuff about keurig and espresso and just uh uh robbie if you just want to share a little about that i think um so a lot of times people will ask you know Oh, you're a coffee snob. You must not want to drink my Keurig, right? And we all know a Keurig. There's there's a whole ton of different brands of these. I know the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf. They have their own brand of a Keurig. Mm-hmm. There's the Nespresso machine, but basically they're these little machines that have a, a water source hooked up, or they have a tank of water, and then you put a pod into the machine, and you press a button, and the, it it pushes the the hot water through the pod of coffee mm-hmm. into your cup, right? Um, and I, I'm not that big of a snob that I won't drink a Keurig or an espresso or whatever. I, I like it. Like, I like coffee that yeah. much. However, um, I do think it's important for people to realize it's not the best cup of coffee. And, and I think we'd all agree with that. Yeah, if we've had course. them, they're not the best coffee we've ever had. They're more of a convenience. Yeah, well, that's the whole point of it. It's yeah. instant. It is. Yeah. It's instant. You don't have to make a whole pot. You can just make yeah, one and you cup. You don't got to throw a filter in there. Yeah, it's, it's super all right fast. There. It will clean up. Mm-hmm. Super easy, right? You just take the pot out and throw it away. Even uh, I have an espresso machine, mm-hmm. and that one's great because you don't even have to dig in there and get the pot out. Once it's done, a little trap door opens and it puts it in this whole um, holding area, so you you can clean oh, it out wow. after you've made like ten drinks. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's really nice. So these types of machines, I think, are really convenient. Um, but again, it's not it's not the best cup of coffee. Freshly ground coffee is yeah, always better. That's why whenever you go into a coffee shop, you don't see them using a Keurig. No, they're they're always grinding their beans. They're always brewing it fresh. Um, And that's just because it's better coffee. You know, who knows how long the ground coffee has been in the Keurig Mm -hmm. pod? Who knows, right? Could be a month. Could be two months. When did they grind it? We've talked about before how it loses flavor after you grind it within 30 minutes. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm pretty sure those pods are more than 30 minutes old. Mm, I would, I would imagine, think, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would think so. Again, um, I'm not so snobby that I won't drink out of those. I think they're a really great option, especially if, if you're the only person drinking coffee at your house. Mm-hmm. You don't have to make a whole pot. Or if cleanup or if you're in a rush in the morning, I think they're a really great option. Yeah, it takes like two minutes. Yeah, it's, it's fast. But the, the truth of it is is they're they're like the TV dinner of coffee. Of food. Yeah, yeah, of coffee there. <laughs> so it's like, do I want a TV dinner or do I want to go to a high-end restaurant? That's funny. That's, really That's kind of what we're talking about. But the truth of it is, Tyler, and, and we'd all admit this. Well, maybe we wouldn't all admit it, but I will. Uh, sometimes a TV dinner is good. Yeah, they Sometimes are. it's all yeah, right, you know? Um, so again, it's not that you, you never want to drink well, from it, but um, mm. again, it's just not the best cup. Yeah, and it's always a man- matter of like, uh, if you think... If you're thinking in the idea of TV dinner, it's like, of course, you would always rather have a steak dinner in front of you that's sure. from like a high end restaurant or something. But 
sometimes you just want the convenience of having your own frozen dinner just made in five minutes. Yep, exactly. And yeah. so that's kind of the difference between the you know the prepackaged pod type machines and a fresh cup of coffee. That again, I- anything that's really good, it's going to take a little time. Oh, right. Of course, There's going to be yeah. some manual labor. There's going to be some uh, cleanup involved. Got to put effort into it. Yep. But the Keurig, I think, is really nice for convenience, for um, efficiency, just being fast. Uh, if you gotta you know leave your house, if yeah. if you sleep late all the time, and you don't have time to make a good cup, <laughs> and you just need to press a button and get out the door. Man, they're pretty good machines. So um, I'm not against them, but definitely I think we'd all admit it's just it's not the greatest cup of coffee. Yeah, have, well, of course. So. Yeah, so that's the coffee tip for today. Don't look down your nose at people who use Keurigs. Oh, I do all the time. Um, oh, kidding. do you? Oh, I, have two, I, I have two Keurigs at home. <laughs> yeah, so that's the idea. We don't want to be too snobby, but um, we also want to admit reality, right? It's mm. just it's not the greatest cup, and we could we could do better. If it's, you want to get a cup of coffee, it's going to take a I like time. that description, though. It's the frozen TV dinner of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It really is. So. All right, well, let's get into our topic today. Um, apologetics is so important. How to defend the faith. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think that, obviously, we need to know our arguments really well. We need to um, be gentle and respectful, like Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15. But we also have to be wise in how we approach talking to other people about apologetics. We have to have some tactics uh, in in order to talk with people. And I think a great way to gain some insight on on how to go about talking to people and what things you need to know, what techniques you need to have, is to read Jesus, read about Jesus in the Gospels— and see what he did when he encountered people who were opposing his views. See how he used apologetics. And and when we do that, we can glean some insight on, on things that we need to be doing now. Yeah, that's great. So for today, we're going to look at one of my favorite passages in Scripture, uh, Matthew chapter 22. The whole chapter is just phenomenal, but we're going to zoom in on an encounter Jesus had with the Sadducees. So, so Tyler, do you want to go ahead and read uh, Matthew 22, verses 23 through 28? Yeah, of course. Uh, starting in 23, it says, The same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married, having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. And then, likewise, the second also, and the third, and then even up to the seventh. Last of all, the women died also. Uh, And then, therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be, for they all had her. So So this is a really weird (laughs) <laughs> it's a weird question, right? Like, what too. are they asking? Um, and so, just a little background mm-hmm. on the Sadducees, right? Like, how many people out there know who the Sadducees were? Uh, oh, Not a lot, mean, right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, even yeah. sitting in even sitting in church, how many people could go, oh, here's who the Sadducees Yeah, because I was going to say in church, I don't think a lot. Yeah. We've heard the name, right? But who are they? Well, mm-hmm. basically, um, these guys were the religious liberals of their day. Um, they really liked their affiliation with the Roman Empire mm-hmm. and they, they kind of played politics. Like, we want to be in charge, right? Big part of it. Yeah, but we're okay with Rome coming in. Um, and even in this passage, it says um, in, in the first verse, uh, the same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, mm-hmm. right? The Sadducees don't even believe in the resurrection of the dead. They kind of don't believe in the afterlife uh, at all. 
And mm-hmm. so they're, 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 they're not necessarily atheists, but they're kind of close, right? Mm-hmm. We even gain some more insight from, um, uh, from another passage in Acts. Uh, it's Acts 23, verse 8. And it says, For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor an angel, nor a spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Mm-hmm. So you've got these people who are religious leaders who don't believe in angels or demons and don't believe in, in resurrection. resurrection, in the existence of humans after life, right? And so, like, what kind of a religious leader are you? What are you telling people? Not much. <laughs> not honestly. much. Yeah, exactly. Not much. They're just playing politics, basically. So, so these guys come to Jesus with this question. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that's important about the Sadducees is they only believed – that the Pentateuch was scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pentateuch being the first five books of the Bible. Yeah, because right? they believe that, uh, as we were saying, is that Moses was the authoritative yes. director of scripture. Moses is the only author of scripture. He is. To, to the Sadducees. Because he's the only one who spoke directly to God for the word. And yep. That's the whole idea. Yep, and so they don't they don't like the writings of David, right? They don't like the prophets, all of that. They'd say that's not scripture. The only scripture to the Sadducees was uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a little background on who these guys are. And so what is this question they ask Jesus? Like what a bizarre question, right? Yeah, that's crazy. I mean just thinking of like, this whole idea too. It's it, Like we were just talking about it too. I mean it, it, they're just straight up just trying to trap him is the idea. It's, they are. Yep, they're trying, yeah. they're trying to show Jesus that if you obey the commands of Moses mm-hmm. – you can't possibly believe in life after death or resurrection. Yeah. And so that's where they come with him. That, that's the whole question about, hey, there was this guy who got married and he died. Mm-hmm. And then Moses told, told us in the law that if you, if you marry and, and you die, then your brother has to marry your wife. Yeah, exactly. And so his brother marries and then that brother died and then another brother marries seven times. So in the resurrection, which they don't believe in, Mm-hmm. Right in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Well, that's that's what they're trying to argue. They're saying that it's impossible that she can't be married to all of them. So they're saying yes. there's no possibility that we can be resurrected. That's the whole idea. Because if resurrection was possible, which they don't believe, yeah. but if it was, then she'd have seven husbands and be a polygamist. Yeah, and that's... they'd say obviously that can't be. Mm-hmm. So this is a this is a pretty decent argument against the idea of resurrection of the dead, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just another. Uh, this is the the whole case that they built up. This is the main apologetics question that Jesus is tackling here, and that's what we were talking yes. about getting into. So, and it's pretty it's pretty. I mean, it's pretty decent. It on is. The it's, it's, it's part a good question. If we if we obey what Moses said, then then there will be polygamists in heaven, and that makes no sense, Jesus. Therefore, yeah. the resurrection can't be true. Of course, yeah. And they get that whole that the law about marrying the brother. It comes from Deuteronomy twenty five verses five through ten. Mm-hmm. And so the Sadducees' point with this question to Jesus, it's not really a question, right? They're not asking in sincerity, like please enlighten us. They're trying to show that his views are stupid. That's the idea, right? Yeah, it's it's kind of like it when an atheist asks us, "Is your God uh, powerful enough 
to stop all evil, but he doesn't care about us? Yeah. Or, or is he not powerful enough and does care? Or it's like them asking questions like, uh, is your God power- powerful enough to create a rock so big he can't lift it? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's just, it's these absurd questions, but they're trying to make a point with the question, mm. right? They're not asking in sincerity. They're trying to make a statement through their question. Yeah, of course. And the statement the Sadducees are trying to show Jesus is that this question isn't answerable, therefore resurrection is not real. And yeah. that his belief in resurrection is is dumb. And so we have this really cool response of Jesus to the Sadducees uh, in the next section of Scripture. So let's go ahead. Will you read that for us? Uh, Matthew 22, 28 through 33. So right here, yeah, in verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. For the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead... Have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes hear this, they were astonished at his teaching. This is so awesome. Mm -hmm. Jesus gives us a really great example of what we need to do in our apologetic approach when we're talking with people. Yeah. The first thing we see here is this question doesn't catch Jesus off guard. No, it doesn't. He's, right? <laughs> and that's that's where a lot of times I think as Christians, uh, you know, First Peter three fifteen it says, "Always be ready." Right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't say sometimes. <laughs> right? It says it says you need to be ready to a give defense. a defense for anybody who asks you about the hope you have. And these guys are attacking the resurrection, and Jesus was ready. And I think as Christians, uh, we need to get ready. We need to prepare, right? If you're not ready, get ready. There's there's no excuse. The information's available. You can find other believers who know this kind of stuff and are prepared to talk with atheists or with Mormons or with Muslims, right? And and if you're not ready, you need to get ready because Jesus was prepared. He was all he was. Every time they've ever come to him with a question, he and, was ready. And these are these aren't like just like guys coming up to him on the street. These are like the political religious leaders of their day yeah these were smart guys Mm -hmm. and so he's not just he's not just talking with a guy you know out at the ballpark he did that with people normally right Mm -hmm. he just talked with them on the way but he's now interacting with the scholars of his day and he shows them up. That's why I love it. it says the crowd's astonished. The multitudes heard this. You know, this is like people going, oh, dang, Jesus just showed him up. You know, they're, they're freaking out because Airborne of what in. he did. and Yeah, exactly. Because of what he did and what he said. So he's prepared. And this is how he was prepared. Um, Jesus knows what the Sadducees believed. Mm-hmm. Right, he knows their position already. Uh, he was prepared. Th- he was. He was prepared in in not just what he believed, but he was prepared knowing what they believed. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, and you see this um, in his answer. He says, yeah, it's crazy. "In the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like what? They're like, <laughs> They're angels, like angels, right?" Mm-hmm. Did the Sadducees believe in angels? No, they didn't. No, and Jesus knew that. So that was the, and that's why yeah. he throws that in there. Because he's, he's kind of like backhanding him. He's saying, you morons, you don't even believe in angels. <laughs> but there are angels. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's kind of a backhanded approach mm-hmm. to saying, you guys are wrong about that too. So you see, he knows their position, and he <laughs> exposes that, oh, and by the way, it's angels. Because he could have just said, human beings don't marry in the resurrection. 
but he throws in the angel thing kind of to punk the Sadducees. Yeah, just to like <laughs> add something extra in with all of it. He's like, yeah. yeah. Oh, and and you're wrong about that too. He's like, not only are you mistaken, but there are angels. So. There are angels. Yep, I love it. Um, so he he knows their position, right? Uh, he explains to them, you don't know what Scripture says, and you don't know how powerful. God is, right? Mm-hmm. Now, and then his answer is there's not a need for marriage in heaven because there's no procreating going on. Angels don't marry and procreate. Uh, humans yeah, won't do that type of a thing uh, in heaven. So he basically says your question doesn't need an answer because it's nonsense because there isn't anybody married in heaven, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's they're, they're almost setting up like this false dichotomy of either polygamy is okay, which the Bible says it's not, or the resurrection can't occur. And Jesus says, actually, no, the resurrection occurs, polygamy is not okay, and nobody gets married in heaven. <laughs> so that answers mm-hmm. the problem, right? I love it. That answers the problem. Um, the, the next thing we see about Jesus is he was prepared by knowing what they believed, and he especially knew what scriptures they believed were true, right? Yeah, that's Remember? the coolest part, I think, of his response, in my opinion. Like, that's yeah, I think so, crazy. too. So, so explain a little bit. Like, what, what He quotes a scripture mm-hmm. from, from where? Yeah, it's from Exodus, Yeah, where he... He's just talking about how uh, Moses's first encounter with God goes. Basically, the first words that are exchanged between them yes. is the whole idea. And so, but that's the crazy thing is that as we were mentioning earlier, uh, they only believed in the Pentateuch. Yeah, the, which, the Sadducees only believe in what Moses wrote. Which Exodus is a part of that. Yes. So you'd think this would be mm-hmm. something they'd know. It would, and yeah, they, they would have idea. known it, right? And this is this is when Moses is at the burning bush, talking mm-hmm. with God about going and getting the Israelites out of Egypt. Yeah. So, again, I, I think this is so funny where he says, uh, "You don't know the scriptures," <laughs> and think about it. They only had five books to know, because they, they only did. believed on the scripture, yeah. <laughs> right? So Jesus is saying to them, "Out of the five books you believe are scripture, you don't even know what those say." <laughs> And then he quotes Exodus 3, 6, right? This exchange with Moses and God. Mm-hmm. When Moses says, who should I say sent me? And then it's the, you know, the famous passage where God says, I am that I am, right? Tell them that I am sent you. And then Exodus 3, 6, he says, moreover, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Mm-hmm. Why does Jesus quote this verse? Well, he follows it up by saying, God's not the God of the dead. But the God of the living. living. Now, this, I think, is phenomenal. He's saying that God said, I am, meaning I'm presently. Yeah, present tense. Present tense, the God of Abraham, Isaac. Not I was their God when they were alive. I am right now. And, And so... Um, he's saying this to Moses probably around 1430 BC, okay, maybe a little before that. Um, and Abraham lived around uh, 2000 BC ish, okay? So we're talking 600, 500, you know, in that range for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to have died, right? So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have been dead for a long time. Yeah. Um, but God says, after they've been dead for hundreds of years, I am the God of these guys. I am presently the God. And that's why Jesus says he's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Jesus bases his whole argument on a verb tense. <laughs> and it works. And it works. Yeah. This is it phenomenal destroys the whole thing, to yeah. me. He, if he is the God of these guys presently when he said that. Then there is a resurrection. Then they're alive. Yeah. 
<laughs> they don't cease to exist. Then there is an afterlife and, and a resurrection. not only does he do it showing them through this scripture, but the scripture he's showing them from is the only scripture they guarantee is true. Yeah, he, he's basically saying, I'm not going to quote from the Psalms because you don't think that's authoritative. I'm not going to quote Isaiah because you don't care. I'll play on your on your level. I'll come to your turf. We, let's play with your boy Moses, right? <laughs> Which, again, Jesus believed that Exodus was scripture. He did, of course. But he says, that's fine. I can use what you think to show you that I'll you only were wrong. use that, yeah. Yeah. It is a great, great argument. He, he based his theology on a verb tense, and then he shows them what he said. You don't know what scripture says. And I love that he does it in public in front of a crowd. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. when he does that, everyone's like, oh, yeah, it says, And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. They yes. Blown away. Blown yeah. away. And he based what? it on a verb tense. And I mean, I was even talking about this earlier, like, because I've, I've read this passage so many times before. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, I knew, like, when he was saying, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, like, of course, I knew they were already resurrected by that time. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I well, they, yeah, that, they were dead and with, with yeah, you know, yeah, with well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, I, I mean, but my my whole uh, original mindset when I'm reading this passage is I'm thinking of I am, meaning in the sense of how God refers to Himself as an I am, I always exist, which He is also doing that at the same yes. time while He's saying this. But when you take a step back and you realize He's also using it just in the mere idea of the present tense, saying I am currently, yes the God. God of these people who had already died. And then you see it even further verified with how Jesus uses it here in this passage. You see that he's clearly trying to draw attention to this as, yes, this is evidence of the resurrection that yep. that it's God resurre- said that I am the God of Abraham. Isaac, Presently, I'm the God of these people who've died, but they're still living somewhere. Exactly. And it's just yep. so cool. It's so It is cool. cool. And I think it's funny because... I mean, think about this. So Jesus is a rabbi, right? He's a mm-hmm. teacher. But everyone knows he's this hes this carpenter. He's a manual labor guy from Nazareth, from, from the sticks. Yeah. And he comes in to the, the uh, elite professor type guys of his day. And he says, you didn't even check the verb tense? <laughs> I mean, it's a simple, it's a simple method to know what's – it's elementary school. You learn about present, past, future tense in elementary school. Oh, of course. And so yeah. Jesus comes in and goes, you don't even know what it says. Did he, he say, I was? Oh, I don't think he said I was the God. I am the God. I mean, I just think it, it's such an amazing argument. And I think through this, what we can glean from Jesus are a, a lot of things. First of all, he was prepared, right? Mm-hmm. He took time. He did. And he did hard work to understand not only his view but the view of the Sadducees, so that when they asked him questions, he could show them why they were wrong. Yeah. And this this is this is important to me because I've heard this analogy a lot in, in church or at camps where people say, um, you know, when, when uh, there are people that are working with counterfeit currency, mm-hmm. in order to spot a counterfeit, you just study the genuine article, the, the actual dollar bill or $100 mm-hmm. bill. And you were even saying, you know, they lock them in a room with real money and you study that, so then it's easy to spot a counterfeit. And people use that analogy to say that's what it's like with us. If we just know our Bible and we know the gospel really well, we'll be able to spot a counterfeit. And I think that that's true. If I know what the Bible says, when I when I hear Mormon theology, I can go, no, that's not what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. Or I hear Islamic theology, no, that's not what the Bible says. So I think we can spot counterfeits through studying oh, of course. Yeah. The, the, the bona fide artifact. But... It doesn't help me to talk to people who believe in the counterfeit about the genuine article. 
Does that make sense? It helps me spot it for sure, but it doesn't help them spot it. And Jesus was willing to talk to the Sadducees using the books they believed, right? And again, he believed in them too. But I think it's a good principle when, when I'm talking with Mormons or I'm talking with Muslims or Jehovah's Witnesses, um, I, I should be able to, to use their books to show them they're wrong. Mm. And that takes time and it takes hard work, just like Jesus used to be ready to talk with the Sadducees. But you can use the Book of Mormon to show Mormons that Mormonism is not true. Yeah, you can. I have this – my friend uh, James Walker, he developed this whole this whole way to do it, going through using their sources and showing them it's not true. The same mm-hmm. with uh, Islam. A, a couple weeks ago, Trevor and I were talking on the podcast about um, a Muslim man who came to faith in Jesus because he read what the Quran said about Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and so you can use their – you can play on their turf to show them truth. And so, again, we shouldn't just study the gospel because then we can spot a counterfeit. Yes, that's true. But we need to know what they think in order to help them see the the lies within it. And yeah. that's what Jesus did here. He explained to them, uh, not the lies within Exodus, right? It's a little different. But he showed them, you don't even know what it says, but I'll use what you think is authoritative. So I think, I think that really that's interesting. Cool. It is. Yeah. It's, it's really important, man. He loved them enough to study their beliefs. Yeah, and we were even talking about it uh um, just in general, too, with the atheistic culture and population, that how there are certain passages passages in scripture that are completely like like they're completely credited universally uh, among all scholars of scripture, both uh, atheist and uh, Christian scholars, mm-hmm. uh, to say that yes, like there's certain books that we are positive that the Apostle Paul wrote. Yes. That all, not only that, but also yes, he's a historical figure. He existed. Like that's mm-hmm. undeniable, amongst universally every scholar. Uh, yeah, and so, um, and so I have a quote here um, mm-hmm. in in Bart Ehrman, who he's he's an agnostic New Testament scholar at um, uh, Chapel Hill. Uh, he wrote a book called Jesus Interrupted, and in it, here, here's a quote from him. He says. The seven letters that virtually all scholars agree Mm. Paul wrote, the so-called undisputed Pauline epistles, are Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, 1st Thessalonians, and Philemon. Mm. And he's right. Like most, all, unanimously, New Testament scholars, whether they're atheist, Christian, agnostic, whatever, they agree that those seven letters are letters Paul wrote for sure, the Apostle Paul wrote them when we believe they were written to mm-hmm. the audiences we believe they were written to. Now, they don't believe he wrote Second Timothy. They don't believe, yeah. right? well, they don't uh, believe the gospel authors yeah. wrote the gospel. And, of course, we have tons of evidence to support he wrote all of his other letters. Yes, but if I'm mm-hmm. talking with Bart Ehrman or I'm talking with another atheist, we can use that, like you were saying. Yeah, we can because the whole idea is that those passages, those books in Scripture, those letters, they, they're specifically drawn out to, to where they they have to be considered credible towards that crowd. Yep. Because that that's what Paul actually said. Yes. So if I'm talking with an atheist, I should say, hey, most atheists 
that are scholars believe these yeah. are legitimate yeah, letters. Of so let's read them and see what they say about Jesus. Yeah, and if you want to claim that the Bible's corrupt and that there's issues with it, mm-hmm. they can go ahead and do that, but they can't sure. say that about these passages because even those who say the other passages are corrupt will say that these aren't. These aren't. Yeah, we have that this what is the Paul original wrote. document. Yep, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, we have what Paul wrote. We know what he thought. We know. I've even heard Bart Ehrman say that he he knows that that Paul met Jesus' brother James. Because yeah. why? Because Paul because it says, says it, it in Galatians, and that's one of the undisputed letters. It is. We and talked so, about that in our first, uh, second podcast. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so if, if you're going to talk with them, play on their turf. Mm-hmm. Say, okay, look, I could use Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but I won't because you don't think it's credible. So that's fine. I'll play your game. And from 1 Corinthians, which is undisputed, mm-hmm. and Galatians, which is undisputed, uh, Gary Habermas has developed what's called the minimal facts approach to mm-hmm. the resurrection of Jesus. And he has built this, in my opinion, this ironclad case that Jesus must have risen from the dead only using those two undisputed yeah. letters. <laughs> only those. Yeah. Like, like and again, he could have gone we, everywhere. He didn't even use the gospel. No, and, and like, we yeah. can. We have cre- they're credible, and mm-hmm. we believe they were written by who they were written by, and we have reasons for that. But if I'm going to talk with somebody, and I need to know what they think. Oh, hey, you're an atheist? All right. Yeah, hey, this is what atheists agree is legitimate scripture that mm-hmm. Paul actually wrote. Let's read them as historical documents, see what he said about Jesus, and then try to think through what must have happened for him to ro- write that yeah. stuff. And through that, man, you can really um, uh, evangelize people and you can talk to them about how, who Jesus is. And and that's the kind of thing we saw Jesus doing with the Sadducees. That's he exactly said, I what won't he quote, did. He, mm-hmm. I won't quote David. We'll, we'll talk about Moses. That's fine. Yeah, and I can you show believe you from that. Only what Moses wrote, then I'll teach from Moses. Yep. I think that that's a great approach, and it, and it's loving, right? Of course it is, yeah. I mean, I was even saying, too, uh, um, during some of the LDS ministry I've done in high school, I went out and I even bought a KJV Bible, but mm-hmm. not just a normal KJV Bible. I bought one that was printed by the church, the LDS church because yeah. I wanted to have that credibility and say, hey, look, I'm going to be loving and I'm going to be respectful to you, and I'm going to bring... Uh, this to your level onto scripture that you believe is most credible and I'll go ahead and I'll share and evangelize with them that way because it it just I think it also dignifies them and it shows them hey like you you actually can care about them yes like what they're you're listening to them when they tell you they don't believe in those other passages Mm -hmm. and you can draw uh, and build up a really good case just from the ones that they do credit I I agree and yeah. yeah I've done that with with Mormons and also Jehovah's Witnesses so like that too the yeah. New World translation the Mormon translation or the sorry the Jehovah's Witness translation of the Bible they've literally changed things they have like, yeah the the Mormon KJV it's it's the same KJV it's the exact we have, same. right yeah but they add the Book of Mormon mm-hmm. and the Pearl of Great Price and all that other stuff um, but the Jehovah's Witnesses with the New World translation they have changed key passages they and did. they've taken out words they've added words and so a lot of times. You know, they'll go to a Christian's house and they'll say, we want to share the scripture with you. The Christian will get out their Bible and they'll see, no, you know, John 1, 1 doesn't say the same thing. Yeah, and well, even uh, modern day scholars to both atheist and uh, Christian scholars have looked at that translation and it's been credited by all scholars universally as a commentary now. I don't know if you knew about that. Oh, yeah. It's, well, yeah. it's it, it is. It's, it's like, bad. It's, it's yeah. not a good translation at all. It's considered a commentary because of how, how, much, they how much they've disordered it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, my. My point is, though, is that you can you can sit there and argue with them about my yeah. Bible says this and yours has changed, and they could say, yeah, yours is not right, ours is, and is that really helping anybody? 
Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not helping you at all. It's not helping them at all. You're just arguing over whose Bible is correctly translated. Um, I think a better approach would be for you to take the time and do the hard work and use your mind and get a new world translation and go through it and find passages that you can use against their Jehovah's Witness view. Yeah. Well, I mean, that like that that that's what I like perfect, to do with, yeah. with John one three is I can use the New World Translation to show them no Jesus has to be God, mm-hmm. which they don't believe. And so these are the types of things that we see Jesus doing. And if we're to be followers of this guy, right, follow me. Paul later on says, follow me as I follow Christ. Well, following Paul as he follows Christ or following Jesus would be to do the same types of things Jesus did. And he was prepared. He loved the Sadducees enough to know their view and then to be able to point out what's wrong with it. Yeah. Um, and he used his mind to, to love them and to glorify God. And I think that that's what we need to do. We need to get prepared. We need to know what other people think. And we need to be able to communicate them to them what's wrong with their view and what truth is. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what we see Jesus doing in this Matthew 22 passage. I, I just think it's phenomenal. He uses a verb tense, man. He does. That's he goes back to is. elementary grammar to say, <laughs> come on, guys. Like, you, can't even, you can't even see this. Like, Am is present tense. <laughs> yep. it's, it's an amazing passage because he answers their question about marriage. That's the first thing he does. He proves he resurrection has to be mm-hmm. using the scripture they say they believe is true. And he also says, and by the way, angels are real. <laughs> in, I mean, seriously, how many how many sentences? It's just a few sentences. Yeah. He does all that. Why? Because he was prepared. Now, some people will say, well, come on, Robbie, but he's Jesus. Of course he knows all this. I mean, he's the author of Scripture. He's, he's the creator of all things, mm-hmm. right? Um, but when Jesus was a human being, Philippians 2 says that he limited himself, right? Yeah. That he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He wasn't, the thing is, uh, I think we forget, too, I think it's a really important point. Uh, to make when bringing that up is that uh, he wasn't uh, he wasn't like all knowing when he was as a yeah human. he limited himself yeah um, he and that's that's what got rid of that like yeah he was he was God but he limited his ability he he really lived as a human being like yeah I think that's something people people forget about a lot because of course he did use divine powers mm-hmm. and like perform miracles yeah but that's all he did with them that's the only divinity he used was on and he never if you you read the the scripture we've talked about this before he never uses his supernatural power for himself yeah never and luke in luke he it talks about how jesus grew in stature with men and with god Mm -hmm. that he was he was learning he was he was growing and and so jesus studied scripture jesus prepared arguments he knew what he was going to be teaching he knew how to respond to these objections that the sadducees make and then in the same chapter Mm -hmm. that the pharisees make against him um he was ready and i think that that's a good example for us get ready be prepared put in time stop watching netflix and study a good argument to talk about your Mormon friends with your jehovah's witnesses friends your your muslim friends yeah um and you use your mind to glorify god I think Jesus did all those things, and his example in the, in this passage is just amazing to me. I love this section of scripture where Jesus it's schools these guys. Yeah. yeah, I would have loved to have been there to see it. <laughs> Maybe someday, and when we're in heaven, we'll get like that. Oh, that'd be like cool. A, He's like, here's a video shot. Like you of get what like happened. a, a yeah. t- like a TV of you can go through the history of scripture <laughs> to see everything that'd be cool. that happened. Just talk to somebody who was there. What was it and, like? And Jesus know? is giving us a tour of heaven, and here's when I smacked the Pharisees <laughs> and, and the the Sadducees and showed yeah. them up. Basically. <laughs> That'd be kind of fun to see. 
But I just think it's amazing. It's a good example to us to, to be like Jesus in that, to be ready, to use our minds, to take time, to do hard work so that we can be good witnesses for him. So, well, thanks for joining us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. We hope this has been beneficial to you and that um, you can go out and you can utilize some of these tactics uh, like Jesus, like, like the God we say we follow that we want to be like, that we can, we can do hard work and we can use our minds to glorify him, to love other people enough to help them see truth. So thanks for joining us again today. We will see you guys next time. All right, thanks. You have been listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast ministry of Desert Springs Community Church in Goodyear, Arizona. For more information, visit our website at dscchurch.com.